You're listening to the Relationship-Centered Learning Podcast, a podcast to inspire and empower you to be a difference maker in a dysfunctional educational system. Hear weekly from adults and students who are having a radical impact in the education space as they share from their minds and hearts, giving us practical tools that we can take back to our classrooms and campuses. Here to take you outside the educational box is author, disruptor, and your host, Kevin Curtis. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. On today's episode, I'm interviewing Taylor Armstrong. Taylor has been in either higher education or secondary education for 16 years now. He has worked at two universities and three school districts in various roles. His background is in educational psychology, ed tech, and leadership. These experiences have led him to his current position as the Assistant Director of Technology at Vestavia Hills City Schools. Taylor has four children, Emma, Lydia, Riley, and Deuce, and a lovely wife named Leslie. Taylor created a cause called Be the Compass that strives to help others lead, show others how to find their direction in life, and empower others to achieve and create a community of uplifting and helping each other. Taylor loves kids, and being able to connect with them is a big part of Be the Compass cause. If we could just adjust their course an inch now, we will see miles of differences in their future. And that is a big reason why I had him on the show. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Welcome to the Relationship Center Learning Podcast, where we put relationships at the center of all learning. Hey, I am excited today to have Taylor Armstrong on the show today. Welcome to the show, Taylor. Hey, man, what's going on? Not much, brother. Hey, and before we even get into the show, just like every other episode, we always do connections before content. So we do this in the GTKY Flip 5. So, Taylor, I'm going to ask you five GTKY questions. You're going to flip five back at me, and then we'll go from there. All right, Taylor, if you were not an educator, what would you be? I'd probably be in, like, law enforcement, something like that. Okay. I would say, and for you, I would say, what is your, besides education, what's your second highest calling? I literally thought it was going to be a youth pastor. I really yeah. literally started a second master's in, in Christian ministry. I was doing fellowship at Christian athletes while I was coaching. And I really thought youth pastor was where God was pushing me and kind of guiding me. And then all of a sudden he flipped the script on me and then turned this into my like ministry. And I just, you know, you never see it coming, but yeah, youth ministry. And if I, and I will tell you a side note to that would, I would be, I always wanted to open up my youth, like a youth hunting ranch where we would teach outdoor skills and hunting and, you know, safe gun safety and those types of things. So that would like, if I could do any other business, it would probably be pastor, you know, kind of being a youth pastor while simultaneously teaching them outdoor, you know, uh, hunting, fishing, safety, those types of things. I like it. Awesome. All right, Taylor, as much as things that you are good at, what is something that you are just not good at? Uh, listening to my wife. Is that <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And I, I, I'm, I'm growing, I'm learning. Uh, but yeah, I'm just, you know, I have this wonderful ability to hear her without hearing her. And she'll be like, remember I told you? And I'll go, oh, yeah, yeah. And then it all of a sudden registers. It, I'm, very, I'm very terrible at that. And, uh, so I, need, I definitely need to work on that, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say personally, though, personally, man, I'm probably personally a horrible driver, to be honest with you. Okay. And I drive everywhere for us. I really do. So, like, <laughs> my wife either really trusts me or she has a death wish, one of the two. Hanging on. I got you. 
Oh my God. I love it. Okay. You got a question for me? Are we going to alternate back and forth? Yeah, man. I want to give a question to you. So this is a question I love to ask all bald, all bald guys. Okay. Okay. If you could have any hairstyle, what would it be? I guess it would be like the one where it would just be more like slick back, but kind of a little bit high, but you know, I don't know, something that shows that you got hair. You know, See, I'm the Trevor Lawrence, like down to my shoulders. Like if I could do it. Oh, okay. I'd look just like Trevor Lawrence if I could do it, man. Oh, wow. Okay. Gotcha. Good to know that. All right. So thinking back in when we first got on the internet, do you remember what like one of your first screen names were? You know, like when you first created a screen name? Yeah. When I was really young and stupid. Yeah. Yeah. uh, I had two, two really stupid screen names. So one of them was Tupelo 90. There was really no sense behind it. It It's just one of the nicknames I had when I moved from a city called Tupelo. And I always had to explain it. Nobody ever understood it. And the other one was Big Daddy. And like, you know, no sense behind it. Just why not? Let's go with that one because it makes no sense and nobody will ever understand it. So that was, those were my two really stupid screen names. And and they went all the way from dial up to Uh like, I I think I still have Tupelo 90 for like one or two of them. Like, you know, you used it for AOL and everything. Right, 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 right. You know, back when you had to wait 10 minutes to get on the internet. Yes, absolutely. All right, brother, what you got for me? Number three. All right, so uh, one I always love to ask people, iPhone or Android? Oh, iPhone. I'm iPhone. And why? For me, it has just become the ease in my norm. Mm -hmm. iPad, iMacs, iPhones. It has become the simplicity of them. I've been around Android and Google phones and other, and man, there's, there's some great things that they can do that iPhones can't, but it really comes down to simplicity. Uh, I think it's comfort at this point. I'm so far in. I think I started with the three is when I yeah. got into them and I've, I'm, and I'm an 11 max now, but yeah, comfort. I think it just really comes to comfort at this point. And you know, the thing is the answer to the question is not which one you prefer. It's the why that matters. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because the why is what tells me about you. The why is, you know, you want to, so for me, listen to that, it's you want to multitask and be able to get more done with the, with what you have. So you can spread it across your screens and do everything you need to. That's, that's the why I hear from that. Not just the ease, but that you can get things accomplished and get more done in your life. Gotcha. Okay. I like it. All right. So what is your favorite meal of the day? Well, I do. So I have, I plan on my meals, right? Sure. So I, have, I figured that. Oh yeah. I have breakfast, snack, lunch, snack dinner and sometimes a nighttime snack but i would say i have one dinner where i eat kind of like a normal person it's either gonna be lunch or dinner and it's whichever one i choose the other one has to be very good for me like today i'm having pizza for lunch it's chicago style pizza so tonight that means i'm gonna have a a baked potato gotcha so whichever one of those two meals gets me to have uh stuff that's horrible for my body that's my favorite meal that day (laughs) i love it (laughs) <laughs> well said. Well, yeah, before I started falling apart physically, yes, I was weighing my food five meals a day, doing everything I needed to do. So no, I know exactly what you mean. And and again, as you pointed out, some of those days that I could sneak in something that was not probably the best for me would on the when I was eating like that was absolutely one of my best meals. But I will tell you my my favorite meal of the day, if I could have it no matter was breakfast. I love breakfast yeah. any time of the day. And when I travel, I like diner breakfast, I, you know, like I want to, you know, yeah. yeah, like a really good diner breakfast, I, you know, bacon and sunny, sunny side eggs. eggs. Yes. Yeah. So, so, you know, for me, it's breakfast. Dude, for a dude that has uh, egg whites for breakfast and a banana for breakfast, <laughs> Mac, that sounds amazing. Absolutely. I've been there. What's your next so, question, brother? 
Man, go ahead and ask me another one. Let's see if it comes back to me. No problem whatsoever. Okay. If you could have your own streaming channel, in other words, you're going to get a chance. Hey, Taylor, you get to create the new streaming channel. What are you going to be streaming? What are we going to be watching on your streaming channel? Is this for me or for other people? Because Well, it's for, it's for everybody, but in other words, but it's your channel, brother. So, you know, you get to put whatever you want on this channel. Well, if it's going to be for everybody, man, I'd have to make it a mixture of, so I love motivation. I love leadership. And, but one of the things that I feel like is missing most in this world is really just love and understanding. I feel like a lot of people want to, want to talk, but they don't want to listen. That's the problem we come into with a lot of life is that, you know, people want to do a lot of talking, but they don't ever want to listen. And if we want to solve anything or get anywhere, we got to listen to both sides and then come to a common understanding. So for me, it would be a lot of just unity stuff. Like I, I would put on, I have to say some Hallmark just because there are some good <laughs> Hallmark stuff. Like as a married man, I've learned that there's some good, like I don't want anything from Christmas because it's the same story every time. Right. 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 You know, the, the prince or princess meet somebody, they don't believe in Christmas and all of a sudden everybody's magically in love. Right. I don't want any of that, but there are some good ones about putting side differences. Uh, I love stuff when it comes to like saving private Ryan or, um, you know, like Band of Brothers, things like that, because it shows what it means to work together, what it means to have a, a, a greater cause and, and stuff. So stuff like that, I would stream all day long. And then I would probably do some of myself, just like talking. You know how I do. I like to do videos and things mm -hmm. like that. So just different things like that. I would put a mixture of that in there. And uh, at the end of the day, we have to have some sports. Gotcha. Just, life's not complete without sports. Being a being a former coach and athlete, I uh, I don't know that I could live without some sports. Absolutely. Well said. I got one for you. So I'm big on this. So in reading, there are multiple options. Are you a have to have a book in your hand, a one a tablet in your hand, or going to play it audio to listen to it? Oh, it's easy. I'm an audio listener. I don't, I'm not going to say I would hate to read. I'm just not good at recalling information when I read it. I'm great at audio. I tend to be better when I have the audio and possibly the written in front of me, I can combine those two. But no, I, I realized years ago that if I had the ability to listen to it, I was able to memorize it. I was able to pull pieces of it. I'm just much, much. And that was, that was interesting because as I was going back to school from a master's, my original master's in, in principalship and ed lead, and then went back for Christian ministry, I, I found myself having to struggle because particularly you know, there was so much reading involved. And so in, in a lot of those textbooks and a lot of those things were not on audio. So I found that I found where I was challenged to read and to make the notes in the text. If I do read, I will tell you, Taylor, what I have to do is I have to take notes that are memorable for me. So mm -hmm. if there was something, you know, in the scripture that I, I would may have to draw off a little graphic that kind of just memorized or, or told, reminded me of these key points and, and certain things along the timeline. Yeah, man. But, but for the most part today, nowadays, I'm audio, all, all audiobooks is podcasts and audiobooks are primarily how I learn more than anything else. And if I do read, I'm a, I'm a skimmer, you know, and kind of looking for the highlights and those types of things. I'm not sure why. And, and again, I've, I truly understand that the data says, you know, the most successful, you know, people in life read X amount of books and they read and they read and they read and, so I'm trying, and that is one thing I'm trying to be better at is, is pushing myself to become not just the auditory, to be a better reader, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and to become that reader in life. My parents read books for, for fun. And I was like, what the hell is that? Like you read that book because like they, they'd have these big old books and exchange them. I'm like, you, you, you already finished that. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, like that just, 
that intimidates me to read, to think about reading that. And they would read for pleasure. I just never really found the pleasure in reading. Well, I, I, dude, I get you, man. I'm the same way. I, I'm dyslexic. So reading for me is uh, very torturous. And, but what I do is I get an app called Read Aloud. Okay. And it just highlights and I just click play and it reads it for me. So uh-huh. I'll split my screen and it'll read it for me. And then I'll take notes as to what sticks out when I'm hearing it. There you go. And that, that's how I learned. That's how I'm doing my uh, doctorate right now. So it gets me because there's no way I could read all that stuff by myself. There's oh. no way I just wouldn't get it. Absolutely. But now my right. wife, you can uh-huh. read 300 pages in a day. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was married, she, she would read these books and we would be traveling. She'd have her Kindle or a book. She'd have always something to read. I don't care if we stop for five minutes or 10 minutes or on a plane. And I'd look over and I'd see, you know, chapter 56 or something, Taylor. And I'd be like, is that the chapter? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, I don't even think I can read 56 pages, let alone right. 56 chapters. So, and for them, I don't condemn them. I, in their world, they, they, they jump into the book. They read it from a different perspective. I am, to be honest, I'm kind of jealous. I don't know what that feels like to throw myself into that character, into that scenery, and to take myself into the book. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how to do that. And if that's a skill that can be taught, great. But I don't naturally jump myself into the book. And I, I'm very honest, if it's sports related or something that I'm interested in, then of course, I will spend a little bit more time reading into that. Uh, give me a great sports story or somebody that I'm, that's a hero of mine or, you know, something like that. I will tend to read a little bit more into it, but to read like fiction or nonfiction just for grins, you know? Yeah. Giggles. Nope. That's, that's not going to be me. I read to finish. I don't read. (laughs) Well said. Okay. (laughs) I think you just summed it up. That is probably the line. That is the best line I've ever heard. I read to finish. Yes. Well, Taylor, with that, we're going to finish the GTKY section. That was an awesome, man. That was an awesome line right there. So, hey, guys, just like in the classroom connections before content, what Taylor and I just did is that's the GTKY part, just get to know you. Hey, if you want to know more about the GTKY questions or to know more about our circles, head over to rclfirst.com. You can click on the links to either get the resources or to join the weekly circles. So, all right, Taylor, so let's do a quick intro, get everybody up to date who you are and currently what you're doing in education. All right. My name is Taylor Armstrong. I am currently the assistant director of technology with Vestavia Hill City Schools. I've kind of done a little bit of every job out there at some point. So, you know, it's, um, I know I call myself a jack of all trades, a master of none, which just means I can help you out a little bit and probably mess you up a little bit. So we'll, we'll try to do the better of both, but um, I've been in education for 15 years. Love what I'm doing. Love the job I have. And I I don't think I could really be doing anything else with my life. Absolutely, brother. Well, you know, one of the things, as I was mentioned before before earlier, is your variety of different experiences is interesting because as you've kind of zigzagged and navigated through different positions, when you stand back and you kind of look at where you're at now, you know, in, in, in not one's higher or better than the other, what is something that when you reflect through your educational career, what's something that, what is a takeaway that when you kind of look at it, what are some, a few takeaways that you reflect as like, these would be some good key reflective points that you can say, I have learned this through my educational career. Just a couple highlights, some reflective thoughts. I think one, uh, a lot of educators, they think, you know, to be a department head, to be assistant principal, to be a principal, they have to do all these different things. What they what they don't understand is that, you know, you're the principal of your classroom. What you do is 75% of what that principal does. Now there is going to be 
some things that, you know, there are going to be some things that change because you're going to have a different set of responsibilities, but you're still leading people. You're still, I always used to think, you know, oh, I'm just going to be a gym guy or, you know, I'm, I'm just going to teach history or, you know, I'm just going to do this. And it's not about that. And you don't have to make this massive jump to do the things that seem so out there. They're not out there. They're just another step in your process. And that's why, you know, my motto is always take the next step because when you keep taking that next step, you get to this place and you think, you know, I never would have thought, you know, I mean, look like me right here, I, I would have never thought my first year teaching, you know, I had a, a, a teaching PE, coaching football, baseball, soccer, thinking I would never be there. Nobody would ever care to hear my opinion. And now I'm here and I'm going, well, I want to get here and I want to do more than this. And so the first thing I would tell people is just don't limit yourself and don't think that you have to be this, all this craziness. You just have to be yourself first off, because whenever you step in that role, that's what they need. Um, another thing that I've learned is that, you know, and I say this to everybody, especially when we talk about SEL, you know, there's a reason that social and emotional comes before learning is because if you don't handle the social and emotional first, you'll never get to the learning part. And that's, you know, that comes when we're, you know, admins, leading teachers, teachers, leading students, whatever we're doing, it all works together. We have to address the first two and we have to support and help each other socially and emotionally before we can ever get to the learning, whether it's professional, personal, whatever. And I think that's a big key for me that I've learned in this journey is just we have to address those and we have to do those things before we can ever get to the point of uh, helping each other out. Absolutely. Uh, no. And it kind of, it's exactly kind of what we modeled the show, right? Connections before we jump into the content. I think naturally the, and I, the word, the, the good, the effective good teachers that recognize that do that naturally. They don't really have to be taught. It's not something that they were taught in college or preparation. They just naturally know, hey, before I get into today's content, I need to ask my students, how are they doing? Or what's mm-hmm. going on? Or how was your weekend? Or any of that stuff. And so when you, you talk about this, I want to kind of open up this door for a second. And I really want your feedback. So this is an honest conversation that we, you and I, obviously we haven't had any conversations, but I really would value your feedback, Taylor. Because one of the things that I started recognizing in the work that I've done for the, la- the last five years on helping teachers build relationships with kids in a structured, organized methodology way, and then helping alternatives, finding administrators, find alternatives to suspensions. When SEL came on the scene, man, social emotional learning was such a huge impact in the way that it gave us a different vision of what the paradigm of education should, should, should incorporate, right? So as I started to grow in this model of building social emotional skills, communications, those types of things, so one of the things I started to have to reflect is I started to notice that the social emotional learning, the SEL components, a lot of them were, a lot of those social emotional needs were being addressed through a lesson-based curriculum. And so what I started to say was, is I started to notice that when you look at social emotional learning, and I'm not attacking social emotional learning, so I'm going to make this very clear. Social emotional learning, I am so grateful that it came to the forefront and we started to acknowledge these needs in our classrooms. I guess where sometimes I see a small gap, Taylor, is is that when we adopt, particularly this pandemic, all of a sudden everybody was grabbing social emotional content, race, culture, diversity, all the things that we were experiencing in the social world and trying to say, we're going to need to be able to prepare these things for when our kids come back to school. But one of the things that I see as sometimes as, as, as a fallacy in the thought is, is what about just building 
the relationship. And the reason I say this is I came up with that phrase, build your school on a rock of relationships instead of the sands of initiatives. So the reason that I created not just the Relationship Center Learning Podcast is I'm actually rebranding for 2021. So I'm taking my National Educators for Restorative Practices, and we're still going to support the restorative practices model that we've done for five years. But I'm really rebranding because what I want to get is I want to get the concept of RCL out there, but not to compete with SCL, but to get in front of it. And let me, let me break it down before I get you to respond is my hashtag is going to be RCL before SCL. And here's why. Every time when I work with a school on the relationship model and they start to talk about bringing the SEL components in, it's there, you see this ring notebook open up and it starts to talk about a lesson on compassion or empathy or a community, right? And it starts to, and what I always say then, and I said this just like we just talked about is I'm not saying that that's content like math, science, social studies, right? But when you unpack it in that form, it's really just an SEO content piece. Mm -hmm. And what I started to say is lesson-based curriculums blend relationships. Because what they're telling you is when you look at the five competencies of SEL, number four is relationship building. Well, mm -hmm. isn't it ironic that relationship building is integrated and woven into the five competencies versus like step one? Because I keep running into all these conversations, 40 podcasts, Taylor, and everybody says, you know, connections before content, you know, all these, you know, everybody references the value of building a connection before you dive into anything else. And then I'm saying, well, shouldn't we take that same approach before we jump in the SEL? I mean, and, and I'm not asking you to agree with me. I'm asking you really honest. What are your thoughts when I break it down that way? Well, I, you know, I'm first going to give you my thoughts on the whole thing. It's, it's when it comes to it, you cannot address emotions with curriculum. Okay. You dress emotions with emotions. You connect. All right. So to say we have a curriculum to teach this, what did I say in the first thing? You, you have to do the social emotional before you can do the learning. You can't skip to, we're going to teach you this. You have to do social emotional before you can do the learning. If you're just saying your social emotional is the learning, you've missed the whole point. That's not going to work. You got to address the first. So what you do is you connect with kids on an emotional level. You connect with them with shared experiences, with different things. It's not a lesson. It's, it's, there's no notebook to open. There's no curriculum to go with it. It is a human being talking to another human being, and you get to know each other, and you make that connection. And then from there, you can develop lessons that will go along with it. But you well, cannot same. start with a lesson. You can't. So when people open those notebooks, I will immediately say, what are you doing? Now, oh, we've got a curriculum. You can't have a curriculum for an emotion. That's, that's not how it works because – if I'm angry and you're angry, we're going to show two different emotions. If I'm angry, my wife's angry, she might cry. I might yell. Those are two different emotions, but it's, we're defining the same emotion, right? Mm -hmm. so how can you tell me one curriculum is going to cover all that? It's not. So right. when you talk about human beings, and this is where my ed psych comes in, because it was, it was one of my undergrads and it's, it's big into me, right? Every student's different. They test different. They learn different. They do everything differently. You cannot say, just like I was just writing about higher standards in education, and I really despise higher standards, not that higher standards are bad. It's that we don't support it. You can't give a teacher higher standards and go, do this, and then go, we already have 5,000 things to do. Why do you want me to add 5,000 more and have higher standards, but you're not giving me any more support? You're not giving me any more resources. You're not giving anybody to help. If we want to do these things, give teaching aids, 
give extra resources, give time for connection, give time to just sit and talk, give those things. And then you can add on the higher standards or the content or whatever afterwards, then you can do those things. But if you don't do the background work, all we're doing is setting them and ourselves up for failure. And it, this is our students as well. I mean, we're, none of this will ever work if we just go from, it, it'd be like, and I put it to my sports guys this way, it'd be like the NFL team going with no practice and saying, all right, well, we're starting the playoffs today. Let's do it. See how well that works. You're not going to get a very good outcome and nobody's really going to want to watch it because it's going to be a train wreck. There's a reason they play 16 games and they practice all season. They do these things because they have to get it right so that when it counts, they can make it successful. And that's exactly what I see when it comes to all this. The relationship is a foundation for all of it. And once you have your foundation, mm-hmm. then you start building your frame. And then when you build your frame, then you can put up your walls. But it's a step-by-step. It's not, it's not, hey, there's a piece of land, drop a house on it. That's not how it works. Yeah. And that's why I kind of talked about the rock, you know, go back to that ministry. Like I said, the rock of relationships, you know, you know, through scripture, we talk about how we built a house on sand. And so, you know, for me, I just, when I get educators, some school districts will say, oh, well, we, we're grabbing this initiative and this initiative and this initiative. And I, I think sometimes because of the pandemic, we, we grasped almost like, you know, frantically as many of those resources as we could to address mm-hmm. the needs where I asked them to pause was to say, have you checked your foundation? You know, how are your relationships? Because if anything that, if any positive light has come out of this pandemic, it is the ones who struggled to realize the value of relationships. Now all of a sudden are going, holy cow, like relationships are more important than ever. And I'm like, hallelujah. Like, I'm so glad that you were able to finally see that, you know, mm-hmm. through this in, and it's unfortunate that it took the pandemic for make that to happen. But I think sometimes we're so busy, ready to talk about race, culture, diversity, you know, all of those things that, that do need to be addressed. So like I said, I'm not saying they shouldn't be talked about, but even for me in my business, in the middle of this pandemic, particularly when the Black Lives Movement matter happened, we created a video, Taylor, and I have a very diverse group of educators that are on my staff. And what's interesting is, is and I'm being very vulnerable. Denise, my co-founder is African-American. Donald jumped on there. He's an African-American principal. And I even told them, I said, guys, we're going to create a video to have a dialogue to show that this is a crucial and critical conversation. How in the hell do we jump into this conversation? Like we're colleagues. We know a lot about each other, but we just can't turn on the mic and hit record and go, all right, let's talk about race. There had to be a natural kind of segue to even really get there. So if it was uncomfortable for three colleagues that are very close in nature, imagine what it's like for kids that are coming from diverse backgrounds or not understanding those conversations if we don't even know each other, which is why I've just really kind of been lightly screaming in a, in a forest with very little acknowledgement of like, why are we not just saying, what about just getting to know you? What about just the, like you said, How about just being a human and putting that little spiral binder to the side and just saying, and unfortunately, and I'll turn it back over to you, Taylor, but unfortunately that it sounds easy because of what Joe Beckman said. When Joe Beckman said, right, it's easy for like, easy for you. It's easy for me. It's easy for Joe. It's easy for this, for us. So what we have to do is put our minds, our shoes on that. It's not easy for them to just, how do you have that humanistic communication when they don't know how? because nobody's mm-hmm. taught them or not, it's not intrinsic inside of them. And so if you have an educator who's struggling to say, but how do I do that? 
how would you possibly help them navigate through those waters? Well, I, I draw on a lot of my experience on that because one, I'm a man and men are traditionally taught to shut up and deal with it. I mean, that's the honest truth. Get over it, move on. You know, what do we tell most time little boys? Get over it, you're fine. What do we tell little girls? You okay, baby? I mean, I'll be honest, I do that with my kids sometimes. And I have to tell myself, you need to be just as loving, just as supportive, you know, let them be what they're going to be. Two, I also come from the military, which is just shut up, get over it, keep, keep moving, you know, keep going forward. And so it's kind of doubled down on me. And I'm a very much what's right is right, what's wrong is wrong type of guy. I'm, I'm not a much black and white. I'm just, this is right and this is wrong. And this is in my life. Now, I know there's a lot of gray in many people's life. So when it comes to something I'm doing, I know this is right, this is wrong. When it comes to other people, I've learned to listen, you know, okay, they see this differently. And I listen to what they have to say. And I try to do more listening than I do speaking because you learn a lot more when your mouth is shut, right? And so for me, when I come to educators like that, I want to first say, and this is the biggest, biggest problem educators have. And, and I had this for years too. It's okay to say, I don't know. It's okay to say, I don't have the answer. And it's okay to say, I'm frustrated. Now, it's not okay to yell it out to everybody in the world that I'm frustrated and this sucks. That's not okay. We've got to be professional. But it's okay to go, Taylor, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't understand. I don't know where we're at. I'll go, okay, cool. Let's find out together. You know how many teachers I've said that to? Like, I don't know the answer, but we can find it out. Like, that's okay to say. Not everybody has the answers. It's okay to not know everything. And then secondly, it's okay to be emotional. It really is. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I'm, if you've ever seen me emotional, you've seen something. Because I usually try to stay very even keel, very status quo. If anything, very positive. Because I want to be a positive influence on people's lives. I feel like there's enough negativity in the world that if we could just inject a little bit of more positivity, we'd all be a little bit better off. So uh, I try to counteract that a little bit with who I am and what I do. I don't always succeed. I'll be honest with that, but I try. And I mean, I think that's, that's all we need to tell them to do. Like, look, I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm just asking you to try. That's all I'm asking. And that's what I tell everybody. You're going to make mistakes. I had one of my guys made a mistake and I, I ended up getting my butt chewed so bad for this at the beginning of the semester. I mean, so bad. And he apologized, apologized, and I apologized. And I was like, dude, it's okay. You just need to chill out. Like, man, I didn't mean to get you in trouble. Like, man, you're going to get me in trouble. It's okay. Neither one of us are getting fired. Neither one of us are getting let go. It's going to be fine. Or, did you learn from it? Yeah, I learned from it. Then we're good to go. Right. If you learn from it, we're good to go. My key thing for educating, if you don't have leadership that will not let you make mistakes, you're working for the long, wrong leadership. Mm -hmm. That's just the best leader I ever had. One of my supers uh, in my last district. He was, he was my super at my last district. He's now the assistant state superintendent. He let me embrace every mistake I had. And when I'd make a mistake, he'd go, okay, this is why you shouldn't have done this. This is why you should have edited this. So let's go make this right by this. And he'd want me to go talk to whoever I needed to talk to and explain to him what I did and you know, if I didn't take enough time explaining it and tell him what, or keeping somebody in the loop, he wanted me to go back and do that, but he would do it with me. And he embraced every bit of it. And it wouldn't be Taylor did this. It was, we decided to do this mm -hmm. or we, it was always we. Mm -hmm. So that right there, just being a, we made it easier because it was a team instead of, because so many times administrators, I'm going to tell you like friend, y'all do this. Y'all go and y'all go, well, Taylor did this. And it's not Taylor because the key thing an administrator can do, you pass the praise and you take the blame. If you want to be good at what you do, pass the praise and take the blame. If it goes right, they did it. If it goes wrong, it was my fault because I didn't check. Because at the end of the day, you're the administrator of that school. And if it happens, you should have known about it. Whether it was something stupid or not, it's still your school. So I think that's the biggest thing is let people make mistakes. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. And at the end of the day, 
make it as fun as you can make it. Absolutely. It's so funny you mentioned the, the part about not having an answer or not always having an answer or knowing the answer. I had a teacher that I worked with, oh my God, back at Ed White, back so 2014, 2015, mm-hmm. in, in the middle of then. With my surgeries, you know, the shoulder surgery and the hip replacement, she called to check on me. And it was interesting because one of the things that she said, uh, she shared while I was on the phone with her, while she was just checking in with me, Taylor, she said, you know, out of all the administrators I've ever worked with, and she's still currently in education, she said, the one thing that I always remember and appreciate about you is she so she works in the um, almost like a special needs self-contained, either kids are going to be really profound, either in wheelchairs or physically limited. And she said she had a kid one time. <laughs> this is funny, Taylor. I say funny now reflecting, but he literally, when he would get anxiety and he would whatever, he would take his clothes off. And so I literally had this middle school kid out in the front of the school, just chunking his clothes off. <laughs> so she calls me on the radio and I get out there, Taylor, and she's like, what are you going to do? And I said, hell if I know. I said, I have zero clue on what we to do. And she just referred to that. She said, I just remember you said, I have no idea. And she said, and that stuck out to me. Because you didn't try to like, you know, blow smoke or like, we're going to do this or whatever. I was like, I have zero clue. They do not teach you whatever's going on with this kid right now. And he's stripping <laughs> his clothes off. And, and he did it multiple times throughout the year. And, and I told her, I said, hey, I'm, I think it was never the same strategy twice that ever worked to help him, you know, bring back down anxiety and get his clothes back on. But yeah, yeah. that's so funny you mentioned that because that literally just, she called me last week and was like, I love the fact that you said you didn't know, and that's what stood out. And I never thought, I think that's just, you know, I don't know, like with Brene Brown, I'm listening, I'm reading and listening to so much Brene Brown lately, but the fact that, and I've said this multiple times, you know, she says, leader, daring leaders need to stop trying to be right. They need to try to get it right. And I think, as you mentioned, Taylor did it wrong. You know, I, I, I think we need to, we need to stop talking about that blame and we need to start reflecting because I am wired much like you, even though I wasn't in the military, I was a high school coach. I'm all about, for 10 years, I'm all about accountability, mm-hmm. like owning what you said, what you did, whatever, and then reflecting. And then how are we going to grow from this? And how are we going to try to not repeat this? Because to me, I think that is a sign of maturity. I think when you stop making those types of mistakes, then you hit a level of maturity that you weren't at before. And I can own it at 51. I've been in two unsuccessful marriages and I can own my part. And for the first time in 51 years, I'm able to look at myself. And there was two words that I shared that with my journey that I share with kind of my, the, my, my close group of circle and it's develop and discover. You know, you have to discover who you are and you have to develop, as you said, every day you have to become, you know, one step better. And for me, it was develop and discover made me truly understand who I am, what mistakes I've been accountable for in my, in my relationships and what we're doing, how we're trying to pivot professionally, you know, as an organization in the middle of this pandemic. So there's a lot of things that are, that I have to be accountable for, but at the same time, as you mentioned, kind of grace and showing emotions and just realizing I don't have all the answers. And I don't know if I'm expected to have all the answers, particularly in the, in, in education at a point like this. So when you think about that right now, how are you How are you navigating through the pandemic in education and supporting others who are kind of going through that? Because this is going to come out in 2021. And so I want us to kind of think about how we've navigated and then what can we try to do to in 2021, second semester, to kind of continue, as you say, continue to move forward. You know, I think the, the, the biggest key 
to all of this is we need to stop making it harder on ourselves than it is. Okay. I realize teaching online is harder than teaching, you know, face to face. We're used to being able to talk to students and, and do all these things and don't do what you did face to face. You're not face to face. So stop doing that. I'm, I'm just telling, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to tell everybody they're not trying. You're doing your best. I get that. But don't do what you do face to face because you're not face to face. Take it down. I tell every one of my teachers, whatever you do, cut it in half. Cut it in half. Because at right now, your hardest part is getting kids to connect because they're not physically with you. And kids are creatures that they want to be with you to be able to connect. It's much easier for them to connect when they're with you. I mean, you know, we all have, they all have those friends on the screen, but if they ever saw them in real life, is that relationship the same? It's never going to be the same. It's so much different when you're face-to-face. So, you know, you've got to worry about getting them to connect first. Once you've got them to connect, I don't care if it's, you know, being the teacher that farted on screen during a, during a Zoom. I mean, the kids love that. Whatever. If you dress up like the Grinch, whatever. If that gets them to connect and that takes half of your class, you've already won the semester because your kids are invested at that point. You know, you can do gradually add stuff as time goes by. So do more by doing less. Take away what you would normally do and add the fundamentals that matter. Add the connections, add those things like that, that will really make a difference. The instruction will never come if your kids aren't involved. It doesn't matter how much, how many websites we go to, how many apps we use. None of that stuff matters if we haven't established the connection and made it a priority for us to be together. And once we've done that, the rest of it starts taking care of itself and build, building on each other. So I always tell people, start simple, start super simple. And once you've gotten the simplest thing done, then take the next step and add on to it. And as you add on, you know, you go from an anthill and next thing you know, you're on top of Mount Fuji. It just, it, it starts going quicker and quicker as those connections come, but you've got to get that first one down. And if you don't get that first one down, everything else you try to build on from there is just going to fall over. Well said. Just a, a, just a quick question I thought about, because since you're really dealing with technology, have you had to either recommend or, or navigate around the, the technology part? I mean, or do you have any ahas or takeaways for listeners because you do deal with the technology part of online learning? Anything that you could take away or other than what you just shared about going simple, starting a small Anything in that technology part that you could share with us? Yeah, I mean, so I've gotten to do a lot of the the background technology as well as the instructional side. Uh, I've also been a STEM coordinator, so I've gotten to do a lot of these things. It's really kind of led me up to this to help with this. I think one of the coolest things for me, and the situation wasn't good, but when the pandemic started, we, we shut down everything and we gave everybody a Chromebook and they would have issues. So when they had an issue, I would drive to their house and I would sit outside their door and they would be inside, I'd be outside, so glass door, we're all good, right? But then what I could do is I could show them my screen, they could show me their screen, and we could do a little learning, a little instruction, you know, you know, I could ask their teacher, what are they supposed to be doing? And we could point them in the right direction to do these things, and if they had questions, I could answer questions. It was just, I called it drive-by instruction, right? It's just, I'm just gonna drive up, we're gonna do a little bit of things, but it wasn't anything special to it. I just right. sat on the porch, they sat inside, and their parents were just like, thank you so much for coming, I've been so frustrated whatever you need. I mean, that's literally what we're here for. And so the thing that I found that works the most, it's, you know, there are great tools, you know, Flipgrid's great. Cami's great. I mean, there's just, there, there's so many great things, but the tool that works the best is the one that's built in and it's your heart. It's just whatever your heart is for those students and whatever time you're willing to spend with them, that's the tool that's going to make everything go. And if you invest in that and you invest in them, then they're going to do the same thing for you. And I've, I've just seen it too many times 
to say it's not the most important one. I mean, it's just, it is. I've seen it over and over again. And it doesn't matter how old those kids are. I mean, look, I look at my kids. I'm teaching them how to do the right thing, right? And they'll come up and they'll be like, oh, well, Deuce did this or Lydia did this. And I'm like, is that the truth? Well, no, it's the, and when they tell me the truth, I'm like, okay, well, what do we need to learn from that? And we just have a conversation. But if they lie to me, there's different consequences than if they don't. And it's the small things they learn that because they were open and honest with me, that I'm going to be open and honest with them. And then there's no, it's just, we learn together after that. And it's the same thing. Like if you're open and honest with them and you just share your heart with them, they'll do the same thing with you. And then from there, the connection starts and you build on top of it. I mean, it's, we overlook it so many times because of all these standards and requirements that are stacked on top of us. But I mean, honestly, I care less about standards, man. It's yeah. just standards don't make kid, kids adults. You know, what we no. do and how we interact with them is what makes them adults. Yeah. Well, and it just keeps, I keep coming back to what Joe said on that first episode for me, man. He said, you know, Kevin, we keep talking about people that are like you and I, he said, it's not when you're extraordinary, it's when you're ordinary. When you're ordinary, it's what you're kind of describing. What I hear in your voice and what I hear in your stories, Taylor, is it's just when you're ordinary, you show your heart. You show you're vulnerable. You show you don't have all the answers, but you show that you're accountable. You show that you're willing to listen. So as you describe those, those human tendencies, you're just describing being an ordinary human. And unfortunately, you know, my 22 years of education, I just don't think we've really given permission for our teachers to just be ordinary. And unfortunately, what the pandemic is, has kind of pushed us to be is, is, oh, no, you have to be extraordinary, you know, even more now than ever, which is interesting, because as you and I are both reflecting through this conversation, as you put it so simple, no, dummy, this is the time you need to be the most ordinary, mm -hmm. right? I think if you put all of the parameters that are pushing on you and all those pressure points, all we're saying is, is, hey, they're going to be there. But if you just like don't let them pressure you and you become ordinary and you just you're human with your kids and you focus on connecting with them and you start simple and you start small and you mm -hmm. just get that one piece on, you know, built before you get that second piece built, then you'll before you know it, as you said, you'll start teaching effectively and efficiently on online, even if it's your first time. Is that, is that kind of summarized a little bit of what you're saying? Yeah, you are truly, and I say it this way, you're truly the most extraordinary when you're ordinarily you. Mm -hmm. Because we are all unique. Like, I'm dyslexic. So I love reading to students. And not because I love to read, but because I know I'm going to mess up. Right. And I know things are going to happen. And I can go, oh, well, you know, I'm dyslexic. And it never fails. There's always a kid in that class that goes, I'm dyslexic too. And they're like, I don't like to read. And I'm like, well, I understand that. Why are you reading? Well, it's important to read because of this. And then you start a dialogue. And the last time I did this, I had a student come up. So well, I have to read all these things. And I got to show them my read aloud app. And all of a sudden, the whole class is using the read aloud app. They want to read, have it read to them. And do I, they just think it's so cool. And they're doing all this reading. And those things, it's just the things I do to help me. It's right. nothing special. It's just the ordinary things that I've found help me be me. And it's, I'm embracing my dyslexia, which most people will go, I don't ever want anybody to know that because I'm sure. an educator. Why? It's, yeah. it's who I am. God made me that way for a reason. And it's probably to help a kid who's got the same thing. <laughs> well you know? said. So I just embrace it. And I'm like, yeah, you know, that's all it is. But I still love to read because it's still fun. And, and it, you know, I count listening, reading the same as regular reading. The words right. are still going into your head. You're still understanding them and you still get the story. Why is that any different? So, you know, it's about giving them your perspective, not, Superman's perspective, just your perspective. And Absolutely. 
your perspective is the one they need. That's why you're they're in your class. Absolutely. Well said. Well, as we start to wrap this up, I do want to touch on one thing because as you mentioned, you know, I think as you said, we we all, whether our struggles or strengths, are there to help other people. And mm-hmm. and oops, one of the things that you had shared in the men's group is your weight loss. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think it's inspiring when you can kind of see somebody else go through that kind of transition. So would you take us through a little bit of just information on that and share, you know, a little bit of that with our listeners? Because I think that also goes through what, I think it kind of puts a period on what you're talking about, putting your mind to it, small steps, all of those things. And so can you let our listeners a little insight on, on what that was like and, and what your transition was, where you were started and where you're at? Yeah. And, and I first want to tell everybody, if you don't think you can do something, you do impossible things every day. You just don't realize it. And when I realized this, that I do it every day in my job, every day with my kids, I'm like, well, why can't I do this with my weight then? If I choose to, I can. I know I can because I do it in everything else. So I started at 340 pounds. My blood pressure was usually about 180 over 140, just normally, just sitting here. Gotcha. And my doctor was basically like, you either need to change or you need to start planning a funeral, which one you want to do. And uh, I have twins that are six. I have a 20 year old who's about to get married. And then I have a four year old. And, you know, I'm just at the time I'm thinking this is two years ago. So at the time I'm thinking, I don't know if we're going to see any of them get married or if my youngest will even remember who I am if I die, you know, and, and, uh, cause he was at the time he was two. So, you know, I was just sitting there going, you know, what, what can I do? And that's where, you know, and I'd always said, just take the next step, take the next step. And I'm like, I keep telling everybody to take the next step, but I'm not doing it. So I decided, all right, what am I going to do? So I started, I literally went to the gym and got on a stationary bike for 10 minutes. Yeah. I thought I was going to die. I, I definitely thought I was going to die, but I got on the bike for 10 minutes. And when I could do it, I went to 20 and I worked my way up to an hour. This was not overnight. Again, this has been two years in the process. What a lot of people do is they go, well, I did this. I want the results. You got a result. It's not as big as you want it to be, but you still got a result. Because you got to remember, you got 1% better today. If you get 1% better every day, you got 365% better that year. Mm-hmm. Okay. It adds up quick. The small things add up quick if you just focus. So I just kept doing that until I was like, all right, well, I'm going to try to run. And after, this is after a couple months. I tried to run half a mile. And I, again, thought I was going to die running half a mile. And, it was, and I didn't even run the thing. I started at interval pace, like run two minutes, walk one minute. And I still thought I was going to die, okay? And, but I got to the point I could run a mile and then two miles. And now I did a half marathon last Saturday. I mean, it's, it's not something – and these are things that I never thought in my wildest dreams I'd ever be able to do. Even when I was, like, in shape in the military, I never thought I'd run a half marathon. This was, like, crazy stuff. I run a half marathon every other weekend now. Like, it's, this is just part of my routine. And it's not to say I'm great because, remember, our standards are different because we're doing different things. Like, right. okay – like I tell my teachers this all the time, whenever I go in their classroom and they're like, I'm so sorry to bother you. You know, I know this is simple. And I'm like, it might be simple for me, but I'm the subject matter expert in this. Just like I can't come in your classroom and teach your class because you're the subject matter expert in it. And if we put those two together, then we'll be pretty awesome together. So don't ever apologize for needing my help because I need your help too. I can't do what you do just like you can't do what I do, but together we make an awesome team. And so I tell you, don't ever apologize for that stuff. You're there for a reason. You're the subject matter expert. And if you just keep taking those little steps, you start seeing it build. And when it starts to build, 
you start getting excited about it. She's like, man, I could do this. And I never thought I like, I remember that's Friday. I, I finished with mile three and I was like, man, this is so easy. This is a good day. And I can remember thinking back going, I'm going to die. If I run three miles, I'll never right. be able to just the thought miles. of just the thought, right? Just the thought of it. Before you took that first step at whatever weight you were at, you're yep. thinking three miles ahead of me. Yep. You're like, there's just, it's impossible. Right. Right. And tonight, tonight I'm going to do five miles plus another six miles on the bike. And it's just, it's my normal routine now because instead of sitting where I was, I decided to keep taking one more step. And with that one more step, it, it started adding up to miles. It started, and this is just life period. Right. If you keep taking that next step, it adds up. Now it doesn't mean you have to take a step every day. You could take that same step the next day, because even if you're doing that, you might be getting faster. You might be getting stronger or whatever you're doing. You might be getting mentally stronger. Whatever you're doing, each step, each rep is important. But if you're just sitting here, the only thing you're doing is falling further behind. Right. Because you can't stay still. It's not possible in life. You're either getting better or you're falling behind. You're one of the two. And so I decided I try to be the best I can be in everything I do, except this. This is I've let go. So why do I let this go? And if I can do this, then surely I can do this. So for everybody out there, you do amazing things every day. You can do anything you want to. All you got to do is focus on that next foot, that next step. And if you accomplish that next step, focus on the next one. And then in a year, look back and see where you've gone. And you're going to be amazed at how far you've made it. Absolutely. Well, hey, brother, man, this has been an amazing conversation. We're, uh, we're running out of time here, wrapping up. I love what your message is about the one step because I think – no matter where you're at personally or professionally, everybody can take one step. And I love that, that just that thought process, but also that visual, because as you mentioned, it could be learning a new language. It could be learning a software. It could be, Hey, I'm going to take this. I'm going to try something new in my lesson today. Um, Mm -hmm. It could be the way we're eating. It could be the way we're exercising. And obviously this is going to come out at the new year I mean, we're, we're still creatures of habit. There's going to be a lot of New Year's resolutions coming out in 2021. So I think this is a very timely message, Taylor. And I'm just inspired by you. I'm just being very honest. I'm sitting here. No, and I'm saying I'm sitting here. Not only have I gained a majority of my weight back because of the injuries, and I'm not making excuses, but now I'm sitting here with a brand new hip in, and I'm very limited in mobility right now. So at 51, you're, when you're using a walker to walk across to your kitchen right now, it literally is, and it's, you laugh, but my PT came the other day. I literally, in my mind, I like heel toe, heel toe. You know, mm-hmm. I'm trying to get that, that gate back and I'm trying to get that step back. And so I'm literally having to tell myself, and, and you're laughing because I'm saying it out loud. I'm walking, I'm going heel toe, heel toe, because I, I'm, I want to get that memory back into the, how, I, how I should walk with this new hip. And mm-hmm. I look back in a variety of people in my life that that make this simple, but yet inspiring, but yet realistic or people like you. And I think that not only are you inspiring in education, I think you're inspiring in life, which is why I wanted to have you on the show, because I wanted an opportunity to personally connect with you, not just through our s- small social interactions and just give you an opportunity to bring your voice for the show. So I want to thank you. I want to thank you for for what you do, and you do it very humbly, but you do it in a way that you believe is, as you said, every day it's trying to make somebody else better. And if your message can do that, I can just tell you your message is on my end. I'm one of the receiving ends of those messages. So thank you for what you do. Thank you for what you do in education. And, and I, I just, your perspective is inspiring because as much as I am a positive person, 
it's hard to be positive all the time. It Would is. You agree? Man. Would you agree? It is. It is. But the thing we got to the thing we have to focus on is perspective is a choice. Nothing is forced on us. Situations happen. That happens. I get that. I've had tons of bad things happen in my life, but my perspective is only a result of my choice. So as many bad things as I have happen, I probably have that many good things happen too. But right. which one am I going to focus on? Right. right. And so, and I've had time. I mean, look, I had COVID a month ago, and I could have focused on that. And then my wife got COVID because I had COVID. I mean, it just it it happened. Then we had three small kids. We had to figure out how to take care of because we don't live near any of our family. Right. right. I could have focused on that, but why would I focus on that when? We didn't have it bad. No, m- people have had it much worse than us. We were allowed, uh, because we both had it, we could still be semi-close to each other and still talk to each other. We were allowed to be home. I could work from home and still get things done for what I do. I mean, there are so many positives of it, too. I mean, I was very blessed. I didn't have it nearly as bad as many people do. So I'm going to take that approach just because, yeah, I could wallow in what has happened, but I could also be joyful for what is happening and what I'm allowed to still do. And and that's just it. You choose that perspective every day. So. Whatever our outcome is, it's a, it's a matter of our choice. And yeah, don't get me wrong. I get mad plenty of times. I really do. And, but I'm not going to let that person know it first off. I'm just right. like, okay. And I'll be nice to them. And I might go off to myself or call my wife and be like, this person's the biggest idiot in the world. You know what they did? <laughs> and she'll be like, I understand, you know, and I'll feel better. But, and you got to have those people that you can talk to. And that don't mean Josie next door that's going to go tell everybody else in the school. That's not what that means. You got to have a confidence that you can talk to and you know it's just between you and them and you can discuss things, but they also know you're getting things off your chest and they're also going to go, okay, now you need to refocus. You need Absolutely. to get to who you are. And that, that helps me. Leslie is so great with helping me refocus and go, okay, you talk about being positive. Let's get back to positive. Yeah. You know, and so that's just so important. Our perspective is our choice and what we do with it is just going to be a matter of what of what we internally choose to do with it. So I just try to always focus on positivity because at the end of the day, y'all, you're going to rub off on somebody regardless of what you do, whether it's positive or negative. Do you want that interaction to be positive or do you want it to be negative? You want to make the world worse or do you want to make the world better? And I just choose to try to make the world better. Awesome, brother. Well, hey, man, you've made this episode extremely positive. Thank you for what you do, brother. It was great connecting with you. For all of our listeners, listen, thanks for tuning in and we will connect with you next time.